Well, good morning and welcome to The Vine. If you're new here, uh, I'm Zach, one of the pastors here, and we just want to say welcome. So glad that you're here. Um, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab it and open it up to 1 Peter. 1 Peter's way in the back, and uh, if you need to use the table of contents, there's no shame in that. So find 1 Peter. It's uh, way in the back, starting uh, in chapter 4, verse 12. And I've asked Laurel to come and read our text for us today. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is God's word. So if you're new here, just let me back up and give a little context. So um, at the Vine, we've, we tend to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And we've been preaching through 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is written to Christians uh, living in what would be modern-day Turkey now. Uh, 2,000 years ago, under the rule and reign of the Roman Empire, and Christianity was not a religion at this time that was well-known. It was kind of a new religion on the scene, and as a result, they were very marginalized, persecuted, and having a hard time. Just this new church that's happening. He's writing to multiple churches in various towns in this area, Um, but they're, they're marginalized, and they're persecuted, and they're having a hard time, and they're feeling a lot of pressure. So that's the whole context of who this, this book is written to. And so that, makes, um, that helps make sense of this text a little bit more as it talks about suffering for your faith today, okay? We'll talk about in a little bit what that means for us, but let's dive in here first and seek to understand what it meant for them before we apply it to us. So look at verse 12 again. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. All right, so right out of the gate we hear that they're they're not to be surprised if they suffer for being a Christian. Don't be surprised. Don't let it catch you off guard. Now, why would Peter say this? There's a lot of reasons why he might say this, biblically speaking. But one of the main reasons he's going to say this is he's just reminding them of the words that he himself heard from Jesus, because Peter was one of his first followers when Jesus walked the earth. And he's just reminding them of what Jesus said. Here's one example from uh, the book of John. It says this, um, Remember the word that I said to you. This is Jesus speaking now to his first followers. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
It's like he's saying, Jesus already said it, so let me just remind you again so that our expectations are, are clear. We shouldn't be surprised when we experience some form of persecution, if you're a Christian this morning, for, for, for holding to your convictions and then living in light of those convictions, okay? But he says more here in this text. I mean, that's, that's just kind of a flat um, statement of truth that don't be surprised when you suffer for your faith. But he gives us more here by the way of encouragement to help us with that statement, Right? As to the why of Christian persecution, okay? So look at here in the text. He says there's two purposes for why this happens. Number one, to test us. And number two, so that we can rejoice. Testing and rejoicing. Now look at it here. Maybe we can uh, go back and look at 12 again. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. What's it say? To test you. That's right, to test you. So these trials are to test us. What does that mean? Well, it tests if we're legit. It tests if we really love Jesus. It tests if we are just like fair-weather Christians. Like, if, if Jesus is all about sunshine and rainbows for my life, I'm in. But unless he gives me what I want, like happy life, happy wife, good income, beautiful, obedient children, good house, good 401k, unless I get all that, I'm not sure I'm down with the whole Jesus thing. If Christianity is going to cost me something, maybe, maybe it's not worth it. If it's going to cost me something, am I willing to pay what it costs? Is the beauty, glory, and satisfaction of knowing Jesus worth the cost? And God is faithful to test our faith so that we can sort these things out. Testing is for our good to help us know who we really are. You feel that? Now, this is a hard truth. That's not an easy pill to swallow, but it's very biblical. And we would do really well to think and reflect and to confront that, even if it's uncomfortable. But there's another aspect here that's very encouraging. Let's check it out. So first he says, don't be surprised when you experience trial, even a fiery trial. Now, that's no light trial. This is heavy-duty trial. This is hardcore trial. Fiery trial, that's, that, that's, some, that's some deep language when it comes to enduring persecution, intensity. But know that this is for your long-term good. Why? Because it's testing your genuineness, okay? But it's also leading to what? To rejoicing. Check out verse 13. But rejoice, he says it twice. Look for the dual rejoicing here in the, in the text. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. That's the first time. Why? So that you may also rejoice, second time, and be glad when his glory is revealed. See the dual rejoicing here? See, so it's like he's saying, rejoice that you're persecuted as a Christian now. It's a strange statement. Why would he say that? Because... When Jesus is revealed, that's what it means there, his glory at the end of 13. When Jesus is revealed, when Jesus returns and makes all things right, and he's seen in all of his glory for everyone to see, and, and it's fully disclosed, fully declared, there is no questioning that Jesus is Lord and that he rules and reigns. His glory is fully on display. 
That day is going to be mind-blowing for those that love Jesus. And the joy that you're going to have and experience is going to be like nothing you've ever had before. So it's kind of like this. This is kind of the, the flow of, of Peter's argumentation here that he wants his first audience and us to see. It's kind of like being pregnant. And as you guys know, I have a lot of experience being pregnant. Um, <laughs> Actually, not the case, but my wife has been pregnant three times, and she's told me a lot about it, and I got to walk with her in those trials of pregnancy. You know, at times it's not an enjoyable experience. She would always share about that little baby gets that foot lodged up under the rib. Ladies, you with me? Anybody? And it's just like, get that thing out of there. I can't breathe, and pushing on my lungs, and pushing on my bladder, and I got to go to the bathroom all the time, and I got morning sickness and swollen ankles and hard time getting comfortable in bed and sleeping. And sometimes you have a baby that's breech and, and just the delivery alone at times can be really stressful and painful. And, you know, with our first pregnancy, Kim labored for like 18 hours and then C-section and it wasn't what we were expecting. And it's just like a lot of intensity, a lot of, you know, Suffering. Are there worse forms of suffering? Yeah, but we don't want to diminish this at all. I mean, it's, it's not easy for women. And the list goes on and on. But it's, here's the thing. It's like there's, there's a degree of suffering, but here's the thing. You're still pregnant. And you being pregnant shows that there's coming a day in the future when you're going to rejoice when that baby's born. And they hand that baby to you. And that baby has a new name and a new identity as a family member, and it's all joy. You're going to rejoice on that day amidst the suffering of pregnancy. You can look ahead and go, man, that day's coming. I'm going to rejoice. And so it's like Peter saying, rejoice now just in the fact that you're pregnant because it's pointing to an even greater joy. So all the hardship, it's worth it. All the suffering of pregnancy, it's worth it. Just the fact that you're pregnant, even though it's hard, is a really good thing because you have that identity as, as a pregnant woman that's leading to a great reality. And so endure the, the, the analogy here. In the same way, suffering as a Christian should cause you to rejoice. Just the fact that you're a Christian and suffering, suffering for it should cause you to rejoice because that's an indicator that you've been tested and you're a genuine Christian. Just like being pregnant is, is, is hard, but it's a reason to rejoice. Being a Christian sometimes is hard, but reason to rejoice. Why? Because when you endure that persecution and, and showing you're a true Christian and pointing to a coming day when you're going to rejoice when you see Jesus. Now on that day, it's going to be not a day of rejoicing for those that hate Jesus, but for all those that love him, it's going to be mind-blowingly beautiful when what you've longed for is finally fulfilled. So Peter's saying, persecuted Christian, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's so worth it. Rejoice now because the identity that you have shows that you're going to have maximum joy later. So live for that future day. Remember that future day. It's worth it. It's so worth it. Let's keep reading. Now, Peter's going to simply repeat this theme two more times. And that repetition shows that he's really intent 
on wanting to make sure that this original audience gets this because in, in a real way, their eternity in some ways is at stake. So remember, there's resources here in the midst of Christian persecution to endure and endure with joy. Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Again, that sounds funny. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So 13, what was he saying? It was a fiery trial. That's intense trial. That's intense persecution. Here, it might not be as intense. Maybe it's just an insult. Have you, have you ever been insulted for being a Christian? Maybe they don't want to kill you, physically harm you. They just want to get at you a little bit. Just get under your skin a little bit. Now, why in the world would Peter say that's a blessing? Well, I think the answer comes in the fact that it's not just any old insult. It's not just some random insult. It's not like, it's not like saying if you're insulted for being a Packers fan or if you're insulted for wearing the wrong clothes, if you're insulted for being a bad driver or whatever. There's a specific nature of the insult here that leads to blessing. And what does it say? Look at it. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, if people don't like you because you're Christian, you're blessed. If people treat you unfairly because you're faithful to live out the convictions that you have of the Christian worldview, you're blessed. Now, why is that the case? Well, the verse tells us. What does it say? You're blessed, comma, because, here comes the reason, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You're blessed because you have God with you. That's the essence of blessing. It's not health and wealth and prosperity. It's God. It's not his gifts. It's God. It's not the perfect 401k, the perfect wife, the perfect life, the perfect house, all that. It's God. That's the essence of blessing. That's what Peter's saying. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. He's near you. The Bible says that God is near those who are brokenhearted. The Bible says that God is near to the marginalized and the oppressed. Those, he, he, he's the voice for the voiceless. He's the father to the fatherless. So Peter's writing to people like that. They're not majority culture. They don't have cultural advantage for being a Christian. And Jesus himself walked these things. He didn't have a lot of cultural advantages. He spoke the truth about the nature of true reality, and they killed him for it. That's not cultural advantage. That's ultimate marginalization. They silenced his voice, or so they thought. So Jesus knows what, the, what this is like. And Peter's saying that. He can sympathize with us in our weakness, the Bible says. And Peter says here, check it out. The, the language is so beautiful. Peter's not just mixing words here. This is not just random. The language is intentional. What does he say? He says, when that happens to you, if you're insulted because you're a Christian, God literally rests upon you when you suffer for him. Now, isn't that an amazing metaphor that God, God's resting upon you. He's not just with you, he's upon you. That's different. That's more intimate. I think it's kind of like this. You know how sometimes when you have a really bad day, this, this is what I do sometimes. 
And I don't have the option to do this all the time, but if I do have the option, I might take it. If I've had a really bad day, I just want to go to my room, shut the door, climb into bed, and pull the covers over my head. Right? Anybody else relate to that? Now, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because the bed, for some reason, with the door shut and being by yourself, being in bed, covers over your head, that makes you feel safe or makes you feel better in some sense. It's a place of comfort. You throw the covers over your head, and the blankets that are upon you represent comfort and safety in some sense, a reprieve in some sense. It's a good feeling in the midst of the chaos that you feel. Now think about it like this. If you went to bed after the long day and laying on your bed without any covers, it doesn't quite sound that great. You might feel sort of exposed or, or maybe cold, Right? And when Peter says God literally rests upon you, it's like that. God is your covering. And when God is your covering, you're blessed. You might feel exposed and cold, but you're not. The chaos might not be all better right away, but God is your covering. He rests upon you like that blanket that makes you feel more safe. That childlike place of like, I need my blankie. You know what I mean? This is a place that makes me feel better and safe. God is your safe place. If God, and if God is your safe place, this is the best place to be no matter what, having God rest upon you. That's why Peter would say you're blessed in the midst of being insulted for Jesus. Here's the third angle on it. Look at verse 15. He just keeps the theme going. Now let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but do what? Let him glorify God. Let him in that name, meaning let, let him make God look good. Draw attention to God. May the attention be all on God. Look at how beautiful God is. So here's what Peter's saying. He's saying if you're suffering because you're sinning, well, that tends to follow sometimes. You know, we, the Bible says we reap what we sow, okay? It may not, you may not reap what you sow immediately. Sometimes the consequences come way later. But at the end of it, it may be into eternity, sin will reap what it sows if it's not dealt with by the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. But what Peter's saying is if you suffer for Jesus, and it's not, it has nothing to do with sin, don't be ashamed. Don't hide in the shadows. Don't, don't wallow in self-pity. But do what? Give glory to God. Why? Because he's with you. And he's for you. And he will never leave you or forsake you. In the midst of suffering, you can remember these truths and endure. There's, there's fuel here to maintain your faith, to not give up, to not give in to keep on trusting. And then he brings a word of comfort. And the word of comfort is, is, is strangely, for some of us, comes in the form of God's justice. And oftentimes in the Bible, uh, for those that love God, his justice is a word of comfort. Check it out. Verse 17. So he's talked about how to endure, and here's just another angle on it. 
verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, there's some unique language here, and the words might be a little confusing, but here's basically what Peter is saying to the first audience and to us. It's simply this. Those that seek to harm you for your faith will one day get what's coming to them. Those that seek to harm you will experience God's justice. But take note, that's not your job to take care of it. That's God's job. He says, God says, I will repay. I am the Lord. I will take care of it. Romans 12. Do not seek revenge. We already talked about that in 1 Peter a few months ago. That's not your job. God will take care of it. Okay? So what is our job? Our job is simply this, to entrust ourselves to him to entrust ourselves to him. And that leads us to the last verse. Look at verse 19. So he's summing it all up here. In light of everything I've said, here's what I want you to do. In light of the fact that you're marginalized and persecuted, and some of you it's a fiery trial, for some of you it's insults. In light of all that, and the fact that I'm gonna sort it all out in the end, it's all gonna get sorted out in the end, you got to wait for it. I know it's hard. Hold on in faith. Hold on in faith. It's coming. Here's what I want you to do. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator. So look at it again. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will do what? Um, Whine about it? I know it's hard, and we're tempted to whine. Absolutely, that's real. But that's not what the text says. Those who suffer according to God's will gossip to their friends about how hard it is? Doesn't say that, does it? Those who suffer according to God's will wallow in self-pity? Doesn't say that. That's easy to do. I get that. What does it say? Entrust yourself to him. In light of the fact that God is a God of justice and he's going to bring it all about in one day, we've got to wait for it, here's what you can do. You can entrust yourself to him. Cast yourself upon him. Entrust yourself to him. What does entrust mean? What does entrust mean? I think it's kind of like this. Um, a few years ago, we took our initial trip to Ecuador to kind of scout it out and see if the Ecuador thing was going to be something that our, part, our church was going to be a part of in terms of mission. And since then, many of you have experienced that. And by the way, there's another trip coming at the beginning of July, and we still have some slots. And if you'd like more information, just send James uh, Garcia a direct message on Slack. We'd love for you to go. Let's get those 15 slots filled. It'll change your life and be a part of our mission and vision as a church. Um, we encourage you to go. First trip. We worked all week and uh, had a great time. And kind of to cap off the week, we got to go to this little town called Baños. And Baños is a town in Ecuador that simply exists for kind of tourism. Um, and it's small, but it's just overflowing with lots of fun activities for people to do. 
and it sits in this deep valley of the Andes Mountains. It's beautiful, you know, just towering mountains that are all green, you know. And so you got all these outdoor, outdoor activities like mountain biking and like four-wheeling and horseback riding and just anything that you can think of fun outdoors. Well, one of the things um, that you see, because you're walking along these streets and there's all these little booths that are offering come do our adventure package. And one of those was uh, the bungee jumping off the bridge. And this, this, this whole city kind of lives in this valley. So you've got these huge bridges. And, and this bridge is probably about a thousand foot drop to like down at the, at the base where there's a, a river and rocks and all that. So there's six of us on this trip. We're walking around Banos and we see this like bungee jumping. It's kind of funny. Like, see, so yeah, someone should jump off the bridge. And, and my man, Elliot, some of you know Elliot, uh, he's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm not doing that. There's no way I'm doing that. Because it's, it's not like, it's just a little different than what we would do in the States. In the States, it's like you sign a waiver and like, you know, insurance forms and it's really expensive. This is just like, pay your 25 bucks cash, we'll meet you at the bridge. No questions asked, nothing. Like, just give me the cash, we'll see you there. And, and Elliot's he's all in. He's, he's a brave dude. And so he gives him the cash, we'll meet you there in 25 minutes. Uh, we walk over to the bridge, and there's just these two dudes with ropes and harness. You know, they don't have, like, some certificate that says that they're professionals, you know. And you're going to jump off this bridge, 1,000 foot. And so Elliot gets all strapped in with the harness, and they get him going. And, and it, it's just like, it's just so bizarre. It's like nothing's roped off. It's like traffic streaming by. No one's asking questions. Like, you can do that here. You know what I mean? But we're just rolling with it, you know? It's like life is normal. You show up at the bridge and you can jump. And so they, sh- they strap him in. They put this little, like, little, little, like, it's like you're walking the plank, like this little platform. And he just steps out on it. And it, we're all just watching. And I'm filming. And, and he just jumps. And, uh, and those ropes and that harness did not fail him. It was beautiful. He had a blast. He was here in the first service to testify. <laughs> he made it. Now, here's the point. Elliot was entrusting himself to that harness and those ropes and those men that they knew that what they were doing. And they did. That they knew how to put it on them correctly, that those ropes would hold. This was an act of faith, and which is a better translation in our, in our context might be trust. He trusted the ropes and the harness and those men enough to jump. And Peter is saying, jump off the bridge. Jesus is the harness and the ropes, and they will hold you secure, and, will, and you will not fall to eternal death. You may experience even temporal death through persecution, persecution in this life, but eternity with God is your reward. So jump into the arms of Jesus when you're suffering for your faith. You can trust that he will give you a safe landing, no matter what. And that process of falling might not be enjoyable at all times, but you will never finally and completely, in the end, die on those rocks below. So when you feel like you're dangling and all the blood is rushing into your head and you feel like you might pass out or die, just know that it's only for a short season of this life. This life that the Bible says is a mist that's here today and gone tomorrow. And then you safely land on the shores of eternity 
with all those painful trials as simply a blip on the map of eternity. It's so small you can't even see it. Entrust yourself to him in the fiery trial. Entrust yourself to him in the insults. Entrust yourself to him in the suffering as a Christian. See, you're not strong enough to manage it on your own, right? That's why he says, look at the word. I love it. In my Bible, there's a capital C when it says, entrust yourself to a faithful creator. Peter knows this is over our heads. You can't manage the pressure of persecution all on your own, but God can. He's capital C, creator. He made you. He knows you. He pulled the mountains out of the ground with just a word. See, God doesn't need architectural plans to follow. He just speaks and it is. He's capital C, creator. He's powerful. See, we can't manage the pressure and the stress that might come, but God can manage it. So entrust yourself to him. He's so much more powerful than you, and that's such a good thing. He knows how to make those ropes. He knows how to put on that harness. You with me? So let me close with a couple applications on this text. When it comes to thinking about how how to apply this in our modern context, I think many of us, when I was thinking about this this week, just might need to back up the train a little bit. And here's what I mean. Honestly, I think for many of us, the text doesn't really land on us with a sense of maybe direct application because it might be somewhat foreign to our experience. Now, to this first audience, it was a given that if you show up to publicly identify yourself as a Christian, and, and this happens all over the world today too, if you publicly get baptized, you're publicly, in essence, signing up for a degree of persecution that probably most of us cannot relate to. Peter's assumption is that Christian living implies understanding this experience. Now, I don't want you to leave here with a guilt trip. You should never leave church with a guilt trip if you understand the cross and the empty tomb, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So are you in Christ? So we don't, we're not going to leave here with a guilt trip, but I think we need to ask some questions. See, our, our, our heritage in this country is very different than the heritage that, where people lived under the Roman Empire. We've got 300 years of history that makes our context a little different. So no guilt, but maybe a sense of godly conviction. The point is this, if you've never had the least bit of resistance in any way to your Christian faith, it might mean that maybe you need to be a bit more public with your faith. Because the promise of Jesus is, if you're public, you're going to have resistance. It may not be a fiery trial, it may not even be insults, but it's going to be something. So maybe if we've never had the least bit resistance, we should think about why that is. And maybe it's because I'm just not very public with my faith. Now, so what does that mean? It might just mean being willing to talk like a Christian. 
since being a Christian, if you're a Christian today, I don't want to assume that everyone here is, but if you're a Christian here today, that's a huge part of your identity, right? If you understand the implications of the cross and the empty tomb, and you say, yes, I'm a sinner, I want to repent and believe in Jesus as the solution for my sin, I can't manage this sin problem on my own, I need someone to manage it for me, I'm a helpless, hopeless sinner, and, and I can't do this on my own. Jesus, can you handle it? And he says, yes, check out my cross and the empty tune. I got this. And you come to him and follow him in faith and trust. If that's true of you, then that's your identity. This is the main, one of the main, if not the main, I would venture to say the main aspect of your identity, who you are. So it's kind of like this. One of the aspects of my identity is I'm a father. I got four kids. And so what happens? You hear me talk about my kids a lot. You hear me talk about them up here a lot. They're like number one ground for uh, sermon illustrations, right? Lots of ammo for sermons. And, uh, and so why is that? Well, because I'm a dad, and that's part of my identity. So I talk about it, right? And if, if you were my friend for two or three years, and you never heard me talk about my kids, you'd be like, how come I have, you got four kids? I've never heard you talk about them. That's just odd, right? Now that I live in Wisconsin, I'm a Badger fan. Go Badgers. March Madness yesterday, come on. That was good, yes? So I'm going to talk about the Badger game yesterday because that's part of my identity. I'm a Badger fan. So I did in the first service. Shelly and I, see that game yesterday? Yeah, it was awesome. It was fun. I'm going to talk about it because it's part of my identity. I, I play the piano. And I've given hours and hours and hours of my life to being a musician in the past and to a certain degree to this day. And if we were friends for two years, and, and I never brought up that I played piano, and then you saw me play piano one day, and you're like, why did you never tell me about this? Like, there's something to hide? Or like, what, what's the deal here? You just strike you as odd, would it not? So the same should be true of our Christian identity. How much more should that be true of our Christian identity if you're Christian this morning? If we truly love and, and know God it's going to come up because it's at the heart of our identity. And if it never comes up, then maybe we don't have that identity. Or maybe we're so ruled by a different fear instead of the reverence and the fear of God himself that people and their opinions are so important to us and God's opinion of us is not nearly as, as big. Maybe we're ruled by fear instead of ruled by God. Maybe we're ruled by the need to be accepted and we've forgotten that we're already accepted by God. Maybe we just worship this need or perceived need to be liked by everyone, forgetting that God has set his favor on you in Jesus. So then the next question becomes, why do those feelings loom so much larger than the love that I have for Jesus and his mission that flows through his church? So, so hear me this morning. Be willing to ask yourself these hard questions. It's really good for us. And if you find yourself lacking, and to some degree we all do, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember the author of this letter. His name was Peter, right? And Peter walked with Jesus. And he knows what it's mean to taste the forgiveness of God as a fearful failure, as a coward. Jesus was in his final hours. 
of his life on earth, and he's being brutalized before he would suffer the ultimate torture of Roman crucifixion, and he was alone and abandoned by everyone. And Peter sees this going down, and he's scared. And you can understandably so, right? A little girl comes to him and says, you're with Jesus, right? And he calls down curses upon himself, symbolizing, if I'm not telling the truth, may I be cursed. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not with him. It's a cowardly denial. He's not willing to be public for his faith because of the perceived consequences. But Jesus died for this cowardly denial. The curses, ironically, this is so ironic, the curses that Peter called down on himself did not land on him. They landed on Jesus. The Bible says, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. And the curse that he bore, he bore our our curse in our place, Galatians 3.13. So that those who should have been cursed go free. And those that should have never been cursed by God stood in our place and bore that curse for us. And then triumphed over the curse of death in resurrection. So that those who need a Savior can come to him in faith and trust and go free and live life to the full. Now if Jesus could forgive Peter for this cowardly denial, he can forgive you. So don't wallow in guilt. Don't wallow in guilt. That's not the point this morning. The point is that Jesus is a great Savior who's mighty to save anyone who comes to him at any time in repentance and faith because his love is steadfast, his mercy is wide, and his love is deep. So don't ever forget that. So if you failed in the neighborhood this week or you failed when that opportunity came at, at work this week, Just confess it and rejoice that this sinful fear doesn't condemn you because Jesus was condemned in your place for you. And you stand free and loved and accepted. Now, go and live like it. Go and live like you know these things are true. We do that as a church together. Let's pray.